This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Fourth Estate, the show where journalists talk journalism. Coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on Gadigal lands of the Aura Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. My name is Peter Frey and I am the co-director of the Centre for Media Transition at the University of Technology, Sydney. And my producer today is Anthony Dockrell. So wherever you're listening, belt up because uh, we're going to jump into... Uh, culture wars, the many cultural fires that are grappling in the, the media in this country. But because we're all about balance on the show, uh, we are going to ask the question whether the conservative media in this country has jumped the shark, but also what is the appropriate response from the other side? And is there, in fact, two sides or many sides? And what is the role of social media in all of this? So we're going to look at three different types of culture wars that are raging and see if we can make sense of what's going on. The first is obvious. It's Alan Jones. He's in a lot of trouble. His advertisers are leaving him in droves over his comments he made about New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. And to add insult to injury, Macquarie Media Chairman uh, Russell Tate has threatened to tear up his contract if he reoffends. And yet, being as ever uh, exotic, he's thrown his support behind the Tamil family uh, that have been proved not to be refugees, but who was trying to stay in this country. So that's an interesting twist in Alan Jones's makeup, which we'll get to. Uh, we're going to also talk about The Australian. The Australians are only true general purpose national newspaper, allowing for the fact the AFR is largely about business and politics. The Oz usually spends its time covering the major issues of the day, but recently it seems to become very, very interested in transgender issues. So why the obsession with that, and is it actually what... Uh, readers want. And finally, disgraced Cardinal George Pell. He's lost his appeal, um, but not his support base in some sections of the media. So on the fourth estate this week, we're going to ask why, why and why, and whether cultural wars are good for business when getting uh, audience engagement is the key to success. To help us through this very, very special edition, we have an expert panel, second to none. And I should say we've stepped a little outside the journo-only gene pool to ensure we have such a great uh, list, guest list today. Steve Ahern is a globe-trotting consultant and trainer on everything to do with radio. He's been the director of radio at the Australian Film and TV Radio School and was the senior manager at ABC Radio. He, he owns and runs Radio Info. That's your plug, Steve. Thank you. Uh, and which is, uh, which is the radio sector's major industry news source uh, in this country. And in 2009, he was given a gong, yeah, mm. an Order of Australia medal for his services to the industry. Great to have you here, Steve. Nice to be here. Thanks. James Morrow. 
you'll detect something about him. You, you'll detect that he might have started his career in the United States <laughs> before making it to Australia, where he is now the august opinion editor of the Daily Telegraph. He's also the co-host of The Outsiders Show on Sky News, a very lively way to do a Sunday morning, I may say. And he's written for The Spectator magazine, among many others. Uh, James, thank you for coming on the show. Great to be here, Peter. And Denise Chevelle uh, is, a, is a, a woman who's in a lot of people's uh, social media feeds. She's certainly in mine. Uh, she's an advertising industry consultant. She's worked in advertising, media, and publishing for about 30 years. She runs a firm called Mediascope, which is an advertising industry resource portal. And she is, as I say, an active campaigner against what she calls hate speech in the media. And despite you, what you may or may have read uh, a year or so ago, she is not the person behind Sleeping Giants of Oz. That's, no, I'm that's, not. You are not. No, that's I am not. But thank you for having me. <laughs> it's a great pleasure, Denise. Um, and even if you are not a capital S, capital G, sleeping giant, you are certainly a small S, small G, giant, sleeping. I don't think you're sleeping, really. You, you don't seem to have much time for sleep. When uh, do you sleep? I do sleep. You do? Um, and look, there is always something to commentate on. And yes, I have views and I express them. <laughs> now, well, we're going to get to that right now. So let's talk about Alan Jones. So over the years, Alan Jones has wrecked racked up some pretty impressive numbers. The most common number has been, of course, number one, the number one breakfast show in Sydney uh, on the number one station, 2GB, with about 15.3% share of the Sydney market. Uh, He's won 122 uh, ratings in a row, 15 years on the top. However, among all these impressive numbers, there's a new number which 2GB might not, not like so much, and that is the number of advertisers who have pulled out the show over a suggestion that the Prime Minister put a sock down the throat of Jacinda Ardern, uh, his uh, New Zealand counterpart. That's um, Prime Minister's counterpart, not Alan Jones's. Um, Jones says he misspoke and he has apologised, uh, but that hasn't stopped the exodus. And according to the social media group under the heading Mad Effing Witches, that some 99 advertisers have gone, which includes Coles, Comsbank, Bingley, Bunnings, Mercedes-Benz, Big W, the list goes on. On our back of the envelope calculations, that puts the cost of about a million bucks. So, is it time's up for Jones? What do you think, Steve? I don't think it is time's up, but I think he's getting a big kick. And um, the wild card to me is the, going to be the new owners. Um, Macquarie Media, the, the previous owners of Macquarie Media, needed the money and knew that Jones and, to a lesser extent, Hadley were the cash cows. So they were happy as a small company to keep persisting. But now he's part of a very big stable of um, nine. Eventually, and, anyway. Um, yeah, yes, yeah, eventually. Yeah, and, and so I think um, I think they still need the money and they need his influence and the station needs his ratings. But, yeah, maybe the time is coming. Although nine, of course, is, doesn't seem to have a problem at hosting a fundraiser for the uh, Liberal Party. Yeah, funny that. Although I think <laughs> a lot of their um, journalists may have a problem. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, James. Alan Jones writes a column for you. Yes. A very fine column it is too, often. In it, the other day he was arguing that the family, the Tamil family from Bill Willis should be Correct. allowed to stay. Um, so what, what do you think about all this? Do you think uh, GB is, and Jones in particular, being held to ransom, as it were, by a kind of angry, anonymous mob? Yeah, look, I mean, I think, you know, 
elevating to the level of mob, I think, might be a bit generous. I mean, what a lot of analysis of things like Sleeping Giants has found is that they're actually quite small, but that they effectively use Twitter as an echo chamber to make the outrage seem like it's a lot greater. But it's been than very it effective, is. though. Well, it has been effective, and I think it's a it's a funny and strange thing because. I think on a couple of levels, I mean, you know, as you say, first of all, Alan Jones isn't a consistently right-wing person, you know. I mean, on this Bill Wheeler thing, uh, you know, he's he said, let that family stay, and he's, he's taken the exact opposite position of, of Scott Morrison. He's uh, been, uh, you know, anti a lot of mining projects and things like that for environmental reasons. So, yeah. you know, I think he's a little harder to typify than people want or people would like to be able to typify, but I'm not here to talk about that. What I do think, though, is interesting is that with these campaigns, it seems like they do a very sort of activist tactic where they pick a target, freeze it, focus on it, and that in the, that case is Jones, and then direct a lot of energy at that to try and create this sort of seeming outrage. But then what happens is a, is a funny thing where I think the, the longer-term idea is that they want to raise the cost of having right-of-center views in the media, and they want to make it seem like if you are on the right, uh, that you know this this could cost you. This could be uh, this could be dangerous for your business, and being associated or adjacent with them could be um, dangerous to your business. So you see companies pulling out, but you know at the, well, we're what's wrong that. with that? Because um, I agree with Alan Jones. Alan said um, everyone should take part in the body politic, yeah. in politics, oh. and and should comment, and that's certainly what he does. So so are they. Well, look, I, I, and I want to hear what Denise has to say on this, but I will just say that there is. It does seem to be a bit of a difference between participating positively in the public sphere and saying, hey, you know, well, I'm so, so okay. just, just can I just make one yeah, point? Well, yeah, can I just make yeah. the one point? You know, like the left is always saying, you know, everything should be about choice. You know, during the gay marriage debate, they say, if you don't like gay marriage, don't get a gay marriage. During the abortion debate, if you don't like abortion, don't get an abortion. You know, but if you don't like Alan Jones, well, you've got to make sure that Alan Jones <laughs> okay. is off the air. That's a perfect yeah. t- moment to bring Denise in because I suspect you don't necessarily agree with that. I think brain safety is a massive issue for marketers now. Mm-hmm. Um, Alan Jones has had a long history of speaking out of turn. Um, for me, it's about hate speech. So hate speech is quite a defined sort of set of sort of quite defined. It's not a left-right issue by any means. It's about hate speech. To me, it's a human issue. Speaking about um, Jacinda Ardern in the latest example in the way that he did, Again, that is unacceptable in uh, – should be unacceptable to anyone no matter where you sit on the political sphere. He has form. I mean, it's true, right? He has form. I mean, we, we had Gillard. We had Gillard and we had Louise Heron in the Opera House. I mean, they all really and prior, did And prior to that, we've also seen things like the Cronulla riots and so mm-hmm. on. So okay. there has been, in fact, on social media, there were quite long lists of things that were written about. So this is the latest thing. I think where what, what is different at the moment about this, as Steve sort of highlighted, is there is new ownership structure. Yes, we have these activist groups that have come about and have been able to organise because of social media platforms. But the thing we also should remember is that brand safety is an increasing issue for marketers now. So we'll go to, we'll stay with that and we'll come back to that in a second. What, just on James's point, that, 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 you know, this, is it a fair tactic? Is, is you know, this, is, as, he, as James very eloquently put it, you freeze the issue and then you pile on and you create maximum heat. Is that a very legitimate way to get change these days? I think that 
boycotts for want of a better term and these community-based community based activism is something that has been done for years and mm. years and years. The mm. difference that we perhaps see now is that groups like this are able to organise much more effectively through social media platforms. I just sort of have a bit of an issue with that, though, because it strikes really? me that... Well, no, I mean, look, it's, it's like, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm a great believer in free speech. I'm a great believer in civility. You know, I don't agree with everything that I hear out there in the airwaves, but, you know, I do think that people have a right to be heard. And it seems to me that this is a very illiberal tendency here, and it's a very one-sided tendency, because the idea here... Is you're trying to uh, drive people out of business. You're trying to, to get people essentially fired. You want Alan Jones fired. These people want him to lose his job. Now, he's not going to starve, but you want someone, but it happens with people much lower down uh, on the chain as well. And I think that there's a real one-eyedness because if it was really, you know, about civility and it was about hate speech, then, you know, we'd see people on the left called out by sleeping nights. You would see Benjamin Law, who has fantasized about hate effing uh, people who are gay marriage opponents uh, not getting Guernseys constantly on the ABC. You would see people like Clementine Ford, who has viciously abused many women. So why doesn't the right do it? Well, because we believe that we just argue with them. We point it out, but we don't. And also when they're with the ABC... What advertiser are you going to go after? <laughs> well, there is that point. But, but <laughs> well, no, okay, so we own the ABC, so that's probably a good thing because it's balancing up the commercial interests with other interests. So we're pretty lucky that we've got that. But, you, but, you do, but, you do, but we have a situation where they actually want to drive that conservative voice out of the marketplace sure. entirely. I think but there's the, another element yeah, no, in this just, discussion, no, so. mm -hmm. and um, it's one where Australia is pretty strong, and people look at our regulatory systems for media as um, one of the great successful models of the world, and that's that in broadcasting especially, and we're talking about Alan, so it's it, our broadcasting regular is AC, AC, regulator is ACMA, um, you have to have substance. You have to have... Um, accuracy in defamation laws. Um, defamation is about broadcasting the known true facts. When you ignore a an inquiry about a dam and um, you're, you're um, called out in defamation, you lose a case. Um, Which the, is what happened with Alan. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, when you talk on a current affairs or news program, and Alan's is classified as that, as that if you give people only half-truths or half the information, you can be called out from the regulator. But, so I think we have some some checks and balances. They just need to be used. And well, they're not they're not working in that case, if in the paradigm you've just described well, to us. You know what I mean. but, and what impact does the regulator then have? I mean, what we've seen well, with Alan Jones as an example is we've seen... Several million dollars defamation payment. But he's still there and it still seems sure. to be happening. Yep. Um, and that's where, again, these... Commercial solutions. Can, well, can we stick with? Uh, well, let's go um, uh, to the brand issue. I mean, you raise that. I think it's a very valid point. But also, there's a free speech issue, right? Yes. So Alan Jones, he has a you know has a very large platform, but nonetheless, uh, isn't an issue that he should. I mean, you know, you don't have, again, you don't have to listen to Alan Jones. Mm. Um, hasn't he got a right to speak? I think there is a difference between free speech and hate speech. Yeah, okay, that's where you're drawing that line. But I think, I mean, yeah. where, where do we start to draw the line on hate speech? Because a lot of people, I'm not saying you, but I'm saying that, that an awful lot of um, the Overton window, as it were, for hate speech, you know, from a lot of activists is so skewed this way. So as I say, you know, uh, conservatives are constantly under the microscope for everything they say. But, you know, 
know, Benjamin Lodge, Clementine Fords, all of these people are free to abuse people online and they don't say anything about them. And I think it just seems like it's not about actually cleaning up the public square and raising the tone, but it is about just shutting down actually, voices on the right. Actually, have you been looking at their social media feeds? People do say things about mm. them. So when Benjamin Law puts yeah, something people up, people from the right, but whole... nobody's trying to get them fired. And, and Clementine, uh, Clementine did lose a job. Eventually. eventually. But she lost a job, though. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's still publishing books. And it's my view that hate speech is hate speech, and I don't like these frameworks that we're increasingly mm. being classified into. Um, well, yeah, but I, I think, look, James's point that, you know, it does, the activism does seem to come from the progressive side in the social space. Is that a fair point or not? Again, for me, it's hate speech. Okay. I, whatever supposed side it comes from, hate speech vilifies usually minorities in our community and usually people that don't have a platform or a voice to respond and it is detrimental to so many aspects of their lives. Okay. Do you think what Jones said about Jacinda Ardern is hate speech. I don't think it rises to the level of hate speech, no. I don't think it, it because it, did, it, it did encourage to, it the Prime to, Minister to kind of strangle her. Well, I think that he, I think that he, in the process of doing a live broadcast, he took the phrase, tell her to put a sock in it, which is just a, a you phrase. know, a colloquialism. And I think that it got muddled and I think expanded. Hate speech has to, I think that, I think there has to be a higher bar and there has to be, you know, um, you know, a, a real attack on women qua women or an attack on a race as well, the well, race or whatever. Jones has made, as we've discussed, several attacks on women. So, I mean, maybe it's not just a one-off thing. Maybe you could get away with it if it was just a misspeaking about the, the sock metaphor, but it seems to be a bit of a pattern. Uh, well, I mean, you can, you know? as you say, he's been broadcasting for decades, you know, yeah. and, and you can, you know, and you can point I, to I, things that have happened and you've got, yeah. got people who are always looking for that particular okay, thing. Denise? I tend to listen to the people who are impacted by hate speech. Um, and what I find interesting in these debates is it's often th those that have a view about what isn't hate speech are those that are rarely impacted. So, so what was the impact on Jacinta Ardern? She brushed it off and thought he was a bit of a kook. But on Jacinda Ardern, I agree, but I think the points around what was said about her was more about uh, domestic violence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So yeah, there were enough. women in the community that felt that that kind of talk that was directed to a woman right. emboldened yeah. uh, domestic violence, in, gave it a platform. Yeah. Okay, Where we're going to really wrap up Alan Jones because there's other Can things to Can I make a final it. comment about <laughs> Well, I do Alan have a final Jones. question for you. Oh, good, Which okay. is, is this. So you are saying, just so I'm correct, you are suggesting that you can't tell, uh, you know, a woman to put their sock in her throat or words to that effect and sell toasters for Harvey Norman. Uh, actually, I think Alan Jones does that amazingly well. Well, sell and toasters you, for Harvey Norman. When yeah. you listen to um, Alan Jones, he just goes from um, a political tirade to straight into Harvey Norman toasting <laughs> without changing his, yeah, his a, style. I don't it's think anyone's very, arguing that he's a very skilled very broadcaster, funny. right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, just, I just find it unusual. But, uh, look, that's the nature of commercial radio and those two things go together. And I guess the final point I'd make about Alan is that uh, in the last ratings just out uh, last week, uh, he got 17% of the Sydney audience. Mm -hmm. That means that there's 83% of people who don't listen to him. And um, 
But that's uh, still the single biggest number, 17. Well, it's a share of audience, but the actual yeah. biggest number, he had 609,000 listeners per week. Right. The ABC had 678,000, and the most number of listeners were on um, uh, Kyle and Jackie O Breakfast. So, well, that's another whole yeah. show. Well, that's, a, yeah. that's another whole. <laughs> it's, it's the last number that I is. find the most disturbing, frankly. <laughs> yeah. but, but, and, I, and if you look at share, um, which I did when I, I looked at the ratings, I looked at the right wing opinion radio stations, thirteen percent overall. Left wing, and I combined ABC Radio National and local, thirteen percent. Sport, two percent. Community radio, about half a percent for all of them. Um, they're our listeners. We're in the power. Yeah. 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 You're and, in the powerful side of the radio. Yes, and, and music yeah. radio and people who don't care about politics are the rest. Yeah, well, yeah. that would be a fair reflection of well, the and, and, you know, body so, positive. So, but so, like, and, you know, the other thing, too, is that his share, uh, Alan's share, only went down, I think, 0.6%. Uh, and... Yeah, but the shock in it was, was only the last two days. Well, yeah, of the but he survey. was also had been sick during a, a fair bit of that period yeah. as well, so he hadn't been broadcasting. Yeah, but true. you know, just on the advertiser point too, it is interesting because a lot of uh, advertisers such as Koala Mattresses jumped on this when they had actually uh, they had actually ended their contract weeks before for for <laughs> other reasons. So so you know there is a bit of opportunistic wokeness by some companies who want to want to try and cash in on it. But you know, course, this is the way it should be. The way it should be though is that you know. Half the people want to listen to the guy on the left. Half the people want to listen to the guy on the right. So, you know, let them. And don't well, so, try and so, shut down the guys on the okay, right. Okay, I'm going to ask you and then I'm going to ask Denise this final question about what's called related to Jones, but it's related to everything we're talking about. So it's this, really, that engagement now is so important, right? Because the audience is in the box seat. You know, now that we've lost the business model that was supported by advertising, now we've got to engage our audiences even more. They're going to subscribe to us. They're going to distribute our content. They're going to share it, like it, what have you. So... Is, is there a danger here that the media is getting more and more shouty, more and more vociferous, because it, that's the way to engage audiences? And is that necessarily a good or bad thing? Denise, do you have a thought about it? And it has been called, in some ways, the business model of hate. I think that you can get shouty and you can engage an audience without stepping over that line into hate speech. I think that's a really possible thing to do. And I would certainly like to see some of our media outlets do that more successfully. Okay. I'll also say from a marketing point of view, mm-hmm. marketers are increasingly looking for safe and predictable environments. Uh, they're also increasingly looking at their social responsibility uh, to their communities and their their consumers are expecting that as well. James? Yeah, I just think that, I just think that uh, you know, any idea that I've been here in Australia for 20 years, I've been consuming all media for that long here. I don't think that media has gotten particularly more shouty than yeah. it has. I think, you know, it's always been a raucous place. I think raucousness is good. I think it's fun. I think it's interesting. Um, people like it, and it gets people engaged with politics. Um, and I just think that, though, you know, with all respect to Dean's, I think we have to be really careful throwing the hate word around. I just don't think... That you know this whole idea that words are violence uh, is is I think a valid way necessarily to start thinking about regulating the press. Okay, we're going to come. In, we're going to do a special on hate speech. Will be our next special, and I want you both to turn <laughs> up. And Steve can come as well. Um, let's talk about um, transgender issues. 
So uh, in your building, your wonderful building in Holt Street there, uh, the Oz has been waging what looks like a bit of a campaign around, around transgender. It's doing a lot of reporting about transgender for a newspaper, which Monday to Friday really is aimed at business people, right? I mean, it's not really aimed for the... It's a, it's trying it's a to business and political read. I mean, right. So, a, why yeah. the, so why, can you explain? I'm not asking you to speak for the Oz because I know you don't work for it, but can you explain this sort of... Strange preoccupation with transsexuals. I don't think it's a strange preoccupation. You don't? I, I, okay. I don't know. I it mean, seems I, a little out of kilter for me. Look, uh, no, because the Oz, um, you know, has always been a paper that has prosecuted cultural questions, you know, and, mm-hmm. and they've always done that, you know, whether it's been, uh, you know, they've been a big prosecutor uh, of indigenous issues and, and things yep, in the bush, enough. you know, um, very positively, I would say that's something that they can be really, really proud of there. Um, I can't speak for the Australian, and, no, you, know, I know and I you might want to get Bernard, Bernard Lane in here, because I think he'd love to come and chat about it, because he, yeah, he right. does like to talk about this. Um, I will get But Bernard, I do yeah. think... Um, that that you know this is there is an issue I think that people are concerned because they see this issue coming up more and more and more, uh, and there's a question of how much I think of what they're trying to interrogate is, you know, what is what are the politics of it, and is there an ideology that's attached itself and surrounded transgenderism that is um, possibly leading to the way condition is treated uh, and uh, managed and dealt with, especially in young people. And I think that there are uh, probably some legitimate concerns around that. Um, uh, but, yeah, okay. you know, I'm I, not I, denying that's, that... That's, yeah. So I think, that's, I think that's where they're going with it. Okay. Well, I'm not denying that these issues shouldn't be reported. And I should out myself here as, apart from my long association with Fairfax, I was a deputy editor of the Oz. So I kind of have a sense of the Oz. But yeah. uh, Denise, what do you think? Do you think this... Have you been watching this? Um, yes, I... I think it is curious as to why the Australian has chosen this particular topic. I mean, it, it's an, obviously an important issue, but it's an important issue for a very small part of our community. Um, that part of our community that is impacted by this issue, it's a very, um, you know, emotionally emotional issue. It's a, probably a difficult issue for them to... To manage, I also, from my understanding and my reading, it's also when children and are going through this issue, the incidence of uh, suicide and harm for uh, is quite high. So, I mean, do you think it should be reported? Right? I mean, these issues should be looked at, in but the in a factual, calm way, with a lot of perspective, and perhaps not. My understanding, again, from the the reading that I did, was that it was. Uh, reported through the Australian and perhaps through some other media outlets in a very um, sort of narrow way without a lot of expert opinion uh, applied to the messages that were put on the front page of the Australian in, in, in various other media outlets. Again, I think of the people who are reading this, who are in the playground, um, the trickle down of this kind of conversation in our media. Well, no, but but it does influence other media. It's shrinkish size. It influences the news cycle. Um, it yeah, goes into other things. Uh, and undoubtedly it, true. Uh, I want to know, um, is it clickbait? And, you well, know, do you think James, it's a culture, you, is it a culture war? Is, is this a culture war, do you think? Actually, I do think there's, there's elements of culture war in it because it's about the way we talk about things and we address things. So um, I had a long conversation with someone the other day whose organisation got them to put their preferred personal pronoun on the bottom of their emails. Um, which is is part of the transgender conversation. And they just didn't know why they had to do it. Um, 
So I think... But the world's people, changing, Steve, of right? Of course the world's changing. And I, and I think people are talking about those changes and trying to get their head around it, you know, generally, hopefully, in a positive way. But it's one of those confusing things that, that probably cuts across lots of sections of the population. And so when there's that conversation, maybe lots of people are interested in it and don't understand it and are seeking understanding, or maybe they're just voyeuristic and it's clickbait, which well, comes I, back to... But I do think Do that you see the, the stats? Are people clicking these stats? I, I, don't, I don't see what the, the, the Australian uh -huh. numbers are. What about you see only? You see so the... Uh, don't know, but I mean, look, look... The I telegraph stats would be similar when it reports these things, right? Well, you know, we, don't, we don't focus a huge amount on it unless there's something particularly in the news. I mean... Yeah. Um, so when you have one, does it suddenly spike up? People click it? Um, I don't think any more than any. It's, it, it, you know, if it was a hugely, uh, if there if there was huge interest uh, among our readership, we would be covering it more. I think would be the, the fairest way mm -hmm. to answer that. I mean, I could and I I couldn't tell you whether or not. Uh, nothing strikes me, you know, occurs to me that, oh, you know, we covered this particular story and there was a huge surge of interest. But I do think what you say is absolutely correct. I mean, you know, this is something, the world is changing, you know, for better or worse. Um, and uh, the world does change. We have a greater understanding and acceptance and, you know, knowledge that there are people who are, you know, different sexualities and all of that. That's all to the good. But in terms of people who are thinking about, hey, how do I manage this with my you know, relationships with people. I might have to work with people. We had Catherine McGregor for a long time as a columnist um, at the Daily Telegraph. And, uh, you know, I worked with her and I got to know her pretty well. And, you know, that was an education for me in, in a lot of ways. And that was a very positive experience. But, um, but that said, people are thinking about that. But then they're also thinking if they're parents and they're thinking about it in the schools and they're thinking, mm -hmm. you know, I think... To be fair, I think a lot of parents think, you know, if today my, my kid, you know, wants to put on a dress, uh, does this mean that he's transgender or what? And then, you know, will a doctor try and say that's, you know, oh, he's got gender dysphoria? And I think people are have concerns around that. People are confused, you're saying? But well, I think, yeah, I think that the, the more ventilation for that is a good thing. Yeah, okay. Janine? To me, it needs to be ventilated, though, in a really positive, fact-based way. And quite often I see being given a platform in more of a sensational and indeed clickbaity kind of way. And again, I'll say that that to me is harming people who are impacted by these issues um, and also f giving a false view of the people, of people who are around people with these issues. So you're um, saying you're okay for it to be reported, but it's is, I mean, but should there be a different set I'm okay of rules? I'm for everything to be reported, yeah, right. but, every, yeah. but it should be done with perspective, with expert mm. opinion, with, with expert um But what if facts? the experts say something that, you know, goes against this positive view? I mean, uh, some of the Bernard Lane stories have quoted experts who have said, you know, actually the dominant way that gender dysphoria is being reported in the media and people are thinking of it actually isn't correct. So it feels like there's sort of an idea that we have to take a medical issue and then put it through a political frame. It all seems a little Soviet to me, honestly. Okay, well, let's move on because we're not going to... Well, I disagree. <laughs> oh, well, you, that's, why you, that's why we're here. That's, that's why, why we're here. able to speak and meet as... And I think expert, uh, expert view on anything is so important. Um, it just seems to me that some experts are cherry-picked more than others. Well, aren't they always... I mean, that's the way the media the works, isn't that's, it? That's, that's where you go with the majority. And again, some experts are cherry-picked. But it just, yeah. I, just, I just worry in, in this conversation that... Um, you know, well, I understand, you know, we don't want anybody to get hurt. Obviously not. But, you know, 
But people like, are hurt. Well, but people but but also hurt, but also what's what what is is we don't want is a media where everything becomes this blancmange where everybody has to cover things exactly alike. Papers can't have different perspectives. News outlets can't have different perspectives. Um, and nothing negative can be reported lest somebody get hurt. Well, it's very true that uh, uh, newspapers are having very different perspectives on what's happened to George Pell. And we're going to talk about that for a second. So uh, the Morrison government pretty well declared it was at war with paedophiles this week as it tried to enforce mandatory sentencing uh, on on all paedophiles. But not all sections of the media are fully signed up to all aspects of this war. Uh, A number of very high-profile media figures have been waging what seems to be a long and deep campaign for the the release or certainly uh, casting doubt on the uh, conviction of George Pell. Uh, He lost his appeal, as we all know, but since then, that sort of that kind of debate has ramped up, if not gone the other way. So I'm I'm really curious about this one because Powell has been convicted; he's lost his appeal. Granted, it's a two to one verdict. So again, shouldn't the media sort of accept the verdict and move on, or is this what's going on here? Um, let's talk about. Let's go to you, Steve. I'm not going to go to Jane straight away. Yeah. <laughs> compelling as it is, uh, <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, uh, I, I think that the. Issue of of Pell and the division in media is along political lines, and I think it shouldn't be. Um, the sectarian, you really. I guess yes. We have a, a court system. Uh, we have to assume that they've interrogated the facts and the details, and the decision is right. Um, and I think it's very sad for all the good people who work in the Catholic Church and are tarred with the same brush because, you know, there's a lot of good people who do a lot of things. But in this case, we have to accept the verdict of the court. And questioning the court brings um, all the the pillars of our society into question, the media, the government Mm. and everything. If, If the court's done the wrong thing, has made an invalid verdict, then what does it say about the rest of us? We should expect our courts to... Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to James, right. I'm going to James in a minute, but Dean, you know, what do you think about this? It's a very interesting turn of events. Um, you know, the, that week and after the um, after the, he lost his appeal, there was a lot of a lot of trees died in the forest to uh, to print uh, words in his defence. I don't think we've ever seen anything quite like this. No, it was really. Look, interesting isn't the word. I mean, again, is, is this a part of this culture wars? Of course, this all came about after the Royal Commission into Institutional Child Abuse where we heard the most awful things mm. um, about many areas of our uh, church and various institutions and so on. And, and I suppose George Pell being, what, the third most senior Catholic in the world, um, certainly the most senior Catholic in Australia, um, being um, <clears throat> being convicted in this way, Again, I'll come back to my feelings go toward the people that are clearly involved in this, the people that have been very triggered in all of this media attention that's come about. But I do, again, find it very curious about what some parts of our media decide to um, that they are going to support and the issues that they're not going to support. So mm. as Steve just said, court convictions... Um, due process, everything, and Pell was still guilty, but some don't seem to be able to accept it's, it. it. Is an there must be a lot of spin going on behind the scenes. Well, I don't know. I, I don't, well, don't think there is a lot. Of, well, I'm not so sure about and that. And it does raise the question, is there I a mean, political... Is some, there's something political underpinning it? What's going well, on? I don't know. I, mean, I, I, think, I think it's, uh, you know, I would say that certainly just from the right side of, of 
media and politics, um, you know, I don't think that it's been very uniform. I mean, I can tell you for every five, I can name five columnists who were absolutely outraged by the verdict. I can name five conservatives who were, you know, as I said, you know, complete, you know, it's a rule of law. Child abuse is not a left-right issue. No, but you know it is a left-right issue. issue. But you know it is a left-right issue is the Catholic Church. Why? well, because the left hates the Catholic no, Church. No, they don't. Yes, they do. Well, sorry. The left, the left, the left, <laughs> ha- the left detests the Catholic Church and has for a long time, and they have personified that in George Pell because the left stands against the whole sexual liberation, uh, the whole uh, logic be- of, of atomized liberalism that the left stands for. Uh, it's an institution that presents Religion. an alternate truth, and the left does, is not comfortable with that. Well, it might be more fairer to say, I mean, because there are a lot of left-wing Catholics, right? Oh, yeah. Christina right? Neely, for example, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Not, I don't know, she yeah. didn't readily spring to mind, but yeah. no, there's a lot oh, of left-wing. I had a little Twitter thing with her this morning. Oh, did you? <laughs> right. Well, I'm sure. And how was that? Was oh, that it was fun. We talked about liberation theology. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, there is liberation. Yeah. And there's yeah. a lot of left-wing Catholics out there. There's yeah. a lot of Catholics in the social services yeah. side of the church. So I don't. Um, so there's a lot of lefty who who are Catholic. So I don't. Again, I don't think it's that clear cut. I think. But anyway, your point being. Well, yeah. That that what? That well, my point being that that you know, for as much as there was, you know, um, like, and it's interesting too because you know people like Andrew Bolt defended Pell right to the very end. But you know, Andrew Bolt is a fierce atheist. You know, and so so I think that you know all of these things when you start to look at them. Well, that's when it looks more these, political. It right? does look more political. But then you know it's really interesting because two weeks ago uh, when this verdict came down. And just for the record, I'm a complete rule of law guy on this. And, you know, I accept the verdict. I accept that that the courts have spoken. I also think that, you know, because we live in a system of laws, sometimes courts do get it wrong. I don't know whether they did or not, but we have to accept the verdict. In this case, he might take it to the high court. We'll see what happens. But that's a discussion for another time. But what I do think is really interesting is that, you know, everybody – so many people, not everybody, but so many people who were a couple of weeks ago saying, yeah, the rule of law, we got them. You know, the courts have spoken, uh, have now in the case of these Tamil asylum seekers that we're speaking about said, look, you know, Scott Morrison, <laughs> put away the court judgments well, and look at your Bible and, and I, find it in your heart to let them well, stay. Alan Jones <laughs> and Christina Keneally are on a unity ticket on this Which one. is a pretty funny thing, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Which shows that we're completely human. Humans, it's not black and white. We're very nuanced. There's a lot of difference. Does it, um, does we, it also, we should yeah. be... We should be able to have a much more complex mm. um, debate and a much more complex, um, you know, discussion about these issues because everything is different. So why why can't we have this debate? I mean, we are having I, it. This is nice. I think we do. You, you know? do? I think, I, do. I think our but media I think we, is diverse enough so that we've got various voices on various sides. Right. And what I want people to do is turn the dial and turn the page and flick the switch and go and seek out these ranges of views rather than just lock to one radio station or yeah, one. Yeah, and I think, you know, and I think it'd be great. I love the diversity of media, but, you know, I'm not sure that our friends over at uh, Sleeping Giants or Mad Effing Witches are particularly <laughs> fond of a diverse media, you know. Well, that's an interesting question. Yeah, okay. So, but one, one thing we've established in this last 30 minutes or so surely is that we, well, it seems to me that we're somewhat uh, doomed, maybe it's an over-exaggeration, but see, we seemingly doomed to have these culture wars. Is this not a is that a bad thing or a good thing? I mean, let's just cut to the chase. Final question. Good or bad? Culture wars. Culture wars are a part of living in a culture in a free society. It's a civil society should be able to handle these arguments robustly. And, uh, you know, and this is how we come to solutions. 
Okay. Denise, what do you Bad. think? Bad. Um, these issues, um, the issues that seem to be part of the culture wars are dividing us when we should be trying to find common ground. I'd much rather be talking about the economy because that's where we are really divided and that's where we're, we're very impacted. So do you have any hope that this is going to be the summer of love? <laughs> uh, no, I think that it's going to be a very awful summer where we'll, we're going to be very impacted by things like bushfire. Yes, I think so. Steve, culture wars, good or bad? Uh, discussion of culture wars in media, good. <laughs> culture wars themselves? Bad. <laughs> <laughs> that is a bobbish way, mate. Yeah. Okay, well, on that um, conciliatory note. You've got the tie vote. Uh, I'm, no, I've, I have no vote. I'm, I'm, I'm just the voice of the people. <laughs> uh, on that conciliatory note, I'd like to thank um, Steve Ahern from Radio Info, James Morrow from the Daily Telegraph, and Denise Chevelle from, well, from everywhere, really. Thank you. From, from, my, from my social media feed. Thank you, thank you Thanks, all Peter. three of you. Uh, and thank you all for listening to The Fourth Estate. Uh, this edition was recorded at the studios of 2SER and heard across the country on the Community Radio Network. And make sure you subscribe to The Fourth Estate on your favourite podcast app so you you can hear us talk media, politics, and many things in between. We'll be back with more very soon. But in the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on Twitter, where our handle is Fourth Estate AU. And many thanks to my producer, Anthony Dockrell. My name is Peter Frey, and thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.